Okay, have a listen to this. Remember that it was a, a, an uplifting anthem of hope, uh, and it evokes a whole era, doesn't it? It evokes new labour as well, of course, in a very different Britain. Believe it or not, things can only get better. By D Ream is thirty years old this week, and I'm delighted to welcome now D Ream's Peter Connor. Welcome, Peter. How the hell are you? I'd say that song has been very good to you, has it? Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. A couple of swimming pulls in now, you know. <laughs> and you got another fraction of a cent there this morning from us that, playing that's it. Wonder- yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you. I needed a few extra tiles. <laughs> well, I'll try and fit it in again sometime. Um, <laughs> listen, when we start at the beginning, so before you discovered dance music, it was actually you two who gave you your big break in music, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, major. Uh, Thanks for that because uh, they had a you know they have a, a homegrown label called Mother Records. I don't know if they're still going, but um, Dave Pennyfeather, I think, um, oh God, what's his yeah, name? yeah, Paul, uh, the manager Paul and uh, Larry Mullen came down to the the gig at the McGonagall's in Dublin. And they so you were in a kind of a more an indie band at that stage, were you? They were yeah, four piece kind of sort of Aztec camera Smithsy kind of thing, you know. And we're, I'll tell you a funny story later. But if you want, we're we're actually we just got back together after my dad's funeral. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> we were just sitting there thinking how much fun we had. So uh, they saw us play there, and they, they heard me play a song I had called "Blame It on Me," and they loved that, and they wanted to make it a single. So we we went off. We car- we were carted off to London, courtesy of Mother Records. And I, I don't remember all the de- the details of it, but it, it didn't work out. The record we couldn't get the the vibe of the record right, you know. And so that that kind of whittled out, and I, I ended up uh, sleeping on friends' floors in London when the rest of the band went home. So, uh, but yeah, definitely big shout to uh, you two for uh, that that leg that hand up. Yeah, and, and so then this was London, kind of late 80s, cusp of the 90s. And of course, uh-huh. the dance scene was kicking off. And uh, and like many other people, you discovered clubbing and kind of changed your life, didn't it? Well, it, it was different because um, back in Derry, it was uh, it was just, uh, you know, Saturday night's all right for fighting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Nothing with it. it was just beer and gigs, right? So that's all we had. And then I got to to London, and it was just a totally different ball game. I mean, I, I never seen so many women out in in, in, in clubs in my life, and uh, I just thought, oh, this is the one for me. <laughs> so, I just sort of got immersed in that scene, and I, I met my my current partner Al McKenzie. He was a resident DJ at a place called The Brain, which was in Water Street. Now, it's interesting because Aunt um, uh, McCluskey, who used to be in the the drummer and the Joe Boxers, he was running this nightclub, but it was a it was a destination for lovies. And what I mean is like, you know, you had all the wannabes were there and also ha- have been, you know, so you had people like Shane McGowan were actually there, uh, Dieter Meyer from uh, Yellow, all these kind of like amazing artists, but also you had DJs, poets, artists, musicians, uh, uh, graphic designers, Jefferson Hack and uh, Ian R- Rankin met, met there and started Days and Confused. That's the kind of place it was. Yeah, so it, it was the scene. And I think that's where a lot of the bands that went on to the, the electronic bands that used to do live shows, Yeah, that, that's that, where that we, all started, wasn't we, it? We were one of the, there was us and them people and because we had a, a, a background in live, we were one of the first to go live. So very difficult to do live because 
drums and house music are very, very tight. I mean, they're obviously mechanical. So to actually emulate that live, you need one hell of a drummer, which we had in Mark Roberts. And we, we managed to do that live. In fact, one night when the when the, the PA failed in um I think we were in Hull, we were we were playing on on stage and people were just aghast. But <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That that the know, tape hadn't stopped. Yeah. Yeah, that we were actually people still going, you know. But uh, no, it was very heady days and I, I sort of I was in the right place at the right time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So was was you you're the best thing was your kind of breakthrough single, wasn't it, before things can only get better? Yeah. I remember um, we had our own label. We started started uh, FXU, and I I was cycling all over London at the time because I'd no I was brassic, and uh, I took twenty of them in my panniers on each side of the bike. So I took you know ten each side. Went down to Black Market Records and to uh, Rough Trade and a couple of others, but Boys Own, and just handed them in five. The next week the guy went like, I want twenty of those. I was like, okay. So I had to get a cab to get them done. But the first time I actually had cash in my hand from selling a record, I couldn't tell you the feeling. Yeah. And it was just going through club, Clubland, like it was going before the internet. This is all word of mouth, uh, proper, you know, viral. So it just was kicking off. And that, that was really our, our end to the whole scene, yes. So somebody thing. would play the record in a club and yeah. people would hear it there for the first time and then people would start that's asking, what is this? And that's how it that, worked, that's was it? it? The whole thing. And the hands would go in the air. We, I just knew, because I used to stand beside it. My partner, Alan, is he DJed in the clubs. So I watched for the moment when people would just like, stick their hands in the air and, and I, all of that's been just compacted into that, those records and that's even why today I have people stopping me even on a beach in Thailand and say yeah you know that record and I'm going yeah fair enough you know yeah so so the hands in the air was the sign this is this one works yeah so things yeah. can only get better then it was kind of an obscure club hit initially but it was take that actually yeah. changed everything was it Take that changed everything. Yeah, we um um I was very resistant to going on tour with Take That. Um, and hindsight, it doesn't mean in amount to hell of beans. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. Um. So um, I went on tour with Take That, and uh, lo and behold, like we went from having forty thousand clubbers buying our records into the top forty to three hundred thousand pop fans buying our records into the top forty, which makes a hell of a difference. I'll tell you when it comes to. Uh, getting to the top of the charts. So we went from being hovering around the 20 zone to right up at the top of the charts. In fact, as you said this time 30 years ago, God, I can't believe it when I yeah. even say it. It's so easy to say, but it's such a lifetime ago. And uh, yeah, they, they put us uh, right at the top of the charts, which I have them to thank for as well. It's interesting your resistance to going on tour would take that. So did you ever see yourself as someone who was going to be a big mainstream pop star? Or were you kind of like, I'm cool, I'm 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 <laughs> underground dance kind of guy? Well, you don't think about that. I I just, um, I kept pushing and pushing because I didn't want, I don't want to be posthumously awarded the best record ever. Yeah. Who does? <laughs> but, you know, who does? Uh, so you, you just keep pushing. But you don't know why, but that's that's what we do. We all, you know, if you're an athlete, you want to be number one. You just do. And 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 that's why we kept pushing. So going on tour would take, that was a, a means to an end. It worked, worked a treat. So I've, I have them to thank for that. And it was, and then things seemed to only get better. It was massive. Like you, I remember a period where you were almost a fixture on on top of the pops. It must have been wild for you. How did you handle oh, the sudden fame? Well, we we were on first name terms with the canteen ladies at top of the pops. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I listen. I loved it. I'm back, and it, it was I, my feet never touched the ground. I was just whisked here, there, and everywhere. In fact, I was even kidnapped by a cab driver once to go home to his family, and he wouldn't let me get out of the cab until he introduced me to his mum and his, his dad and his wife. I, 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 honestly, the weirdness, and it goes even weirder as you fast forward even to today. 
Uh, someone pointed out to me that we were actually a, a scene in the uh, the Crown recently. Did you know about this? No. No, it it, it goes even more bonkers, right? Because yeah. um, apparently in this scene, the Queen's having a nightmare, right? Yeah. And it's the, in this nightmare, Tony Blair's being crowned King of England. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And just as he's finished his coronation, the, the announcer goes, and now the national anthem of the UK. <laughs> and it, it switches to this choir boy. He goes, you can walk my mom. It's honest. I swear to God, it's just, just it, it's so surreal. The whole thing, the thing is still surreal. See, it, but it did become then, it was a couple of years later then when New Labour adopted it. Yeah, it did almost right. become the national anthem of them sweeping to power, cool Britannia, New Labour, all of that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, crazy stuff. Um, we got approached by um, New Labour and again, like they take that thing. I was very resistant. I was like, what the hell? And then and they said, look, look, they're just changing the, the, the red flag. They're going to use your song as their, you know, like their walk on tune. You see Trump coming on. He's got the walk on tune and the whole thing. I was going like, oh, God, politics and music don't mix. Anyway, again, one of those things you get caught up in. And uh, I remember uh, John Prescott invited us down to the Houses of Parliament. And you know that expression, toe the line? Yeah. Right. Well, that's from the Houses of Parliament because there's a red line on each side of the house. If you stand on it and you put your foot to the line and you toe the line, you're not even a sword's width away from the other side of the house. That's where it comes from. I love that. And come here, a lot of the musicians then, because like, you know, Noel Gallagher was hanging around in number 10 and Damon Albarn, all these people became embroiled and and, and like it was the done thing at the time. And then I think some of them look back and go... I'm not sure yeah. about that now. Well, only look. I was totally behind. We wanted a sea change. I've been in I've been in London thirty years. I moved home to Donegal like four years ago, but um, back then it was just we, we wanted the sea change. We needed the sea change, and we we're all behind it. Yeah. When he when he did the Good Friday thing, I was like all hail Tony, and then when he went to war in Iraq, I was like, oh, seriously, not in my name, no way. No yeah, way. yeah. Can so, I take back my song now, please? Yeah, 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 I can't take it back now. And then you have people like saying, "But you've got blood in your hands," and I'm going, well, how, "How do you make that connection? Seriously, tell me how that is." And so, here, so in the new Labour period, had you cleaned up your act at that stage? Because you, you were, you yeah. went a bit large yeah. initially, didn't you? The drinking yeah, drugs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Listen, uh, what is it? Sting said, uh, "Having a drug habit is God's way of telling you you've got too much money." Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, no, I was there, did the whole thing. It was probably the end of my career, to be honest, but in that regards of being with the hype machine, you know, inside the major labels. But, yeah, it was about a, uh, six or eight months clean by the time I did New Labour. And, and so, you, do you think it ended your career, yeah? Yeah, 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 definitely, because I wasn't, uh, my head wasn't in the right place, you know. Yeah. So is that is that a big source of regret? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That there was a, there was a different life and a different career there for you, was it, there? Yeah, it is. And just a t- t- you go into a totally different world. You, um, anyone who's taken drugs will know that it does. It, it, it's joyous for the first year or something, and then it can take hold, and you're just doing it to feel normal, and then you're you're sort of like a zombie, and that's what happens. Right. And was it hard getting off it or out of it or whatever? Did you have? Treatment oh, and all I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, went, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was lucky. I went into treatment um, for a couple of weeks, and then I got clean from that bit. And then I went into um, into the rooms, into AA, and that was great. It's one of the best places. You meet some brilliant people in there. 
And then you discover that you weren't taking as mu- anywhere near as much as the others. Yeah. <laughs> that must make you feel good. Okay, okay. You mentioned <laughs> moving back home to Ireland. How come you came home? Well, my mum and dad weren't well and my brothers and sisters had done a sterling job looking after them for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And um, I moved back in October 2019 and my mum died in November 13th. So I had a month with her and uh, it was a brilliant month. Best best thing I ever did, and I was I was with her pretty much every day up until she died of an aneurysm in the brain, and then uh, fast forward now, Dad just passed there before Christmas on the. 14th. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know it's look we're at that I'm at that age now I'm nearly what one minute fifty seven I'll be fifty eight this August so, at that age where my parent you know, I just um and uh, but at least I had these years with them and I got back and I got really involved in looking after them and making sure everything was all right you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you have no regrets on, on, on that score. And look, you're yeah. obviously very close to your parents. Did you always know that uh, they had adopted you? Yes, I was I was very, very young. Uh, and this is, I don't know what it is in the Irish psyche, but mum would sit there with the gin and I must have been three and she'd sing Nobody's Child while the record was playing. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, like the, that's like the Irish thing, you know, who's at the window? Like scaring the bejesus out of you, you know what's all yeah. that about? And I was like, you know, mum, yeah. I, she told me, you know, you're not my son, and blah blah blah. And, and your mummy and daddy gave you up for me. And I was going, well, you're you're really my parents now, mum. So don't worry about that. I was only three, but when the the kids in the playground would have a go at me and say, you look nothing like your your mum and dad, you're a B starred I was going, yeah, and what? And they, that would just floor them because they they had no recourse after that. And uh, yeah, growing up that way, I had friends who didn't know until they hit the birth certificate and they were 18, 19 and they freaked out and I was good. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, and then oh, a lot I of did. people go on that search for their birth mother. Uh, yeah. Your birth mother actually reached out to you, did she? Well, um, I can't remember the Pope's name now, but he formed a Catholic Truth Society and that opened up all the records they said they didn't have. So I'm in London. It's just before Dream's taken off and it's probably 1991. 92 and I'm always on the phone to my mum so mum she says son I've been waiting for this letter all your life and I thought Christ yeah 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 and I thought alright um, alright mum will you open it and she's she's here in Derry and I'm on the phone in London right so she opens it and reads this 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 uh, A4 and it's just an outpouring of emotion about how they took me from her and it's my natural birth mother and you know she's been looking for me all all her life and she would really love to meet me and all of this stuff. It was lovely, really lovely. And I said to mum, Monica, I said, mum, let's go and meet her. So I took mum up, I took dad up, we drove up and we went to Anne. Anne her name's Anne McRae. She's still alive and she's still living up in Strabane. And Anne, if you're listening, love you loads. She's just about to hit her 80th, uh, I think, on the 29th of March. Anyway, went up and she opened the door. And she says, son, my door will always be open for you. And I looked at her and says, that's great, Anne. Put the kettle on. Ah, stop. And, you, so, and, and your parents there as well. That must have been right. such an incredibly no. emotional but complex kind of uh, meeting, was best, it? Best way to do these things. Always, always up front, everyone involved. Don't hide things. Don't compartmentalise. We're human beings. We do it all together. We're in it together. So it was great. It was the best thing I ever did. Um, they became lifelong friends. My adopted mum, I'm a natural mum. I can't tell you now I know them more than I didn't know them, if you know what I mean. So now I'm coming up for 26 years or so. 
I'm a godfather to two of my nephews and nieces and I have three half-brothers and a half-sister I never knew about, Eleanor, uh, Sean, Paul and Michael, and they're, they're now part of my life. And I can't, I can't tell you, because I watch those shows on the mother and baby homes, you know, when people mm -hmm. are trying to fight. It breaks your heart. It breaks your heart because, well, mainly because it's a horrendous thing. But I had the opposite experience insofar as, you know, my mum told me from the wage. And then when the time came to actually meet up, they all got on really, really well. And I, I had a whole bunch of gift. It's a gift to have that amount of family in your life. It really is. And now my, my nieces and nephews are a complete joy. Oh man, I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but you are so, so lucky, aren't you? And even lucky oh. that, that Anne was alive because it's too late for, for so many people when That's they right. do find their, their That's mother. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. you got to feel for them. you got to feel for them. So listen, um, you mentioned at the start there then that at your dad's funeral, so you and the lads from Ty the Boy from Tumble. 35 years ago. My, my, my old man, right, his name was Laz Connor. Yeah. He, he, Catholic from Manchester. He joined the Na Royal Navy when he was 17. The, 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 the hotel he was working in before he joined the Navy that summer, uh, he served Charlie Chaplin and uh, Laurel and Hardy. And then he joined the Navy and he's got some great stories. I won't go into them now, but the thing is he, he walked, when he finished with the Navy in 53, he, he walked around, oh, was it 53 or 60, 61, something like that. He joined up for 12 years. He walked around and sold insurance in Derry he walked through Protestant and Catholic zones in the middle of the Troubles with an yeah. English accent and with Dennis the Menace tattoos and was unmolested. <laughs> I mean, the man, he's a legend here. Everyone yeah. knows him. Everyone knows him. And is it and a funny that, thing too um, that sometimes it's when your dad dies that you suddenly kind of see the full story and you, uh, in a weird way you see them more clearly and their story more clearly than when they were alive, don't you? Yeah, well, you know, I'd, I spent some time because I'm working on an autobiography at the moment. So I spent some time looking, uh, writing his obituary and I couldn't pack it uh, more in. He's just, uh, to me, he's the rock in your, he was the rock in my life and he was the coolest dude, man. He really was. And um, he had no music in him, but he was a music fan. So when yeah. I showed him, I came in for like playing guitar. I, within a year, he bought me a Fender Mustang and a Fender Twin Reverb. I mean, you know, that's a that's a year's wages to most people back then. Yeah. So I can't, I can't thank them enough. I, I could have had a man that came home from the pub and punched the living bejesus out of me. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that. I had a guy who was like, he's cool, really, really cool. And really funny too, actually, if you got to know him. So your so, your subsequent, his last gift you was at the funeral, you and the tie the boy the funeral, guys decided to get back there. together. And there's a new D-Ream album as well in the works, is there? That, that, exactly. I mean, my, my, my hands are full. We're sitting there and my Jerry, Jerry Differ, who's the ex-mayor of Derry, shows up. And there's Kevin Williams, who's just come back from Australia after 30 years. So you, you couldn't have tried to line this up if you were paying for it with lawyers and a record label. Yeah. This just happened. And my dad's parting gift to us was we were sitting at his wake and we were falling off our chairs laughing about how much fun we had as a unit. And we were saying, right, that's a, we're like the Blues Brothers, right? We're like, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> Next thing I know, we're practicing in my, I have a residential studio here that I own and we're in there just knocking out some Brilliant. I love it. A dad I know, band. I know, I know, I know a dad band. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and of course, and of course, you're still gigging with Doreen, so that can pay for yeah. that can pay for the passion project. Then that, that, that keeps that keeps me in pool filters. You know what I mean? Listen, I talk, keep talking about pools. I don't have a pool. I really don't. I'm making this. Song. Yeah, I think it's good. It's good to clarify that. Although you'll you'll have a pool <laughs> after today, after we played that snatch of the song earlier, that might tip tip the royalties over the edge. Very good. Very Come good. Very here, good. Will Brian Cox uh, still be playing with Doreen in these hilarious. upcoming gigs, or no, is he busy being no, a famous TV he's, physicist? He's, now? he's gone into the stratosphere <laughs> I, I, strangely enough he texted me last night because he's playing in Derry now on the 25th I think and he's going year round you up for a pint so I'm like yeah no problem I'll be there but the thing is here's the thing I I interviewed him I had a wee show up here in uh, um, uh, uh, BBC Ulster called Beats for Better Days during lockdown and I interviewed him and I said Brian I have to take some credit for your career insofar as you you were explaining really complicated things things on the tour coach to stupid people like me <laughs> he says you know what Pete I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> so, so last day he texted me so he's going to be there and I go to these shows right I'll tell you I go to these shows and about 20 minutes in he completely loses me now I think half the audience he loses as well but they're just there to see him because he's a good looking boy <laughs> yeah yeah he's, 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 so he's, he's the take that of the astrophysicist he is scene. the take that absolutely yeah so I'm going to see him up in the 25th and there he's, he's doing some like little local shows so look out for him if you if you're at all interested in that kind of thing. Listen, Peter Corner from Dureem, it's been fantastic talking to you. You've such an amazing attitude, like you really do, like you're a tonic. Uh, people loving it. What an uplifting guy. Great stuff at Brian and Glendock. And what a beautiful, open soul, pure honesty. Hey, Brendan, tell Peter I have great memories of him in the Gaeltuk in Donegal, playing the guitar and singing Twist and oh, Shout. Really? That's from oh, Durville. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and do you know what? They told me, Nabi at Canchburla, don't speak English. So I switched immediately into uh, Dream by the Everly Brothers in Gaelic. So there you go, right in your face. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one last text. I remember when Doreem hit number one, UTV interviewed his mom and dad. Lovely scene of the two of them watching the video in their sitting room and tapping their, free, their feet, proud as punch. They must have been so proud of you, were they? Uh, they were over the moon. In fact, um, we had a, a limo, which took us to the Jerry, uh, Jerry Kelly show up in Belfast. And my best mate uh, robbed it and took his mum out for a wee run in it. So can't complain, like... <laughs> the ultimate, a limo to the Jerry Kelly show. Where would you be going? Peter <laughs> Connor, <else> you're, <laughs> you're an absolute legend. Talk Thank to you, you again. Thank you, Thank you very much. Email brendan at rte.ie.